As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I actually don't even know when this one's being released, but it's funny just coming back to back days with you. And then, like, also, I'm telling you, the background's changing. Now we got we got the geometric. You got the new wave. The, what is it? A new wave hotel you're staying at? That it's just it's a little more trendy. It's kind of like the young hip. Uh, wing Boutique. of the Marriott brand is where I yeah. am right now. It had a Peloton, so that's why I'm staying here. Yeah. So I, I'm really trying to not be a piece of shit on this trip and work out and not that's eat hard, terribly. Man. Because if you're leaning into it as vacation, it can get very long. So I am in Charlotte now. I was at Falcons practice today. By today, I mean Wednesday. This is coming out on Friday. Time is a flat circle at this point. Yeah. So just to keep things on the rails, we were going to have a conversation with our Falcons writer, Tori McElmany, today, talking about training camp, the outlook for that team, all that kind of stuff. We're also going to have a conversation with Daryl Bevel, the Jaguars offensive coordinator who I talked to earlier this week, about their plans for Trevor Lawrence, the outlines of their, their plans for Trevor Lawrence, what he learned from the Russell Wilson experience, how he got connected with Urban Meyer. Enjoyed talking with Daryl. But before any of that... We are going to talk about some coaches today. That is going to be how we handle this show. Uh, We did some players with the most at stake with Lindsay earlier this week. I want to talk about some coaches with a lot at stake today. I don't want to call it coaches on the hot seat because I don't like speculating on people's jobs. Like you've been fired as an NFL NFL coach. Your dad's gotten fired as an NFL head coach. It sucks. These are people. These are real people. And when you get into the job, and you start to have conversations with all these guys and you understand that they're real people. I really don't like speculating on that kind of stuff. Yep. So I'm not going to say these guys have tenuous job security. I'm going to say that they're at a crossroads. Like These are guys at inflection points in their careers. And that's how we're going to frame it. And that's also going to lead us to some people that aren't in danger of losing jobs, yes. but are facing some pivotal moments and some pivotal seasons. Yes. So why don't you start us off? When we were starting this exercise and we were going to do this... Who was the first name that came to mind for you? Uh, one of our our podcast mascots is uh, Cliff Kingsbury, and and I, I shouldn't like you said that's what 
coaching is yeah these guys get paid a lot of money and they they get a lot of clout with with some of these titles but it is a it is a stressful job in the sense that you can't plan ahead for six months especially if you're a, a coach that you don't know what your situation is going to be you know nfl it's a joke you know not for long i always say that but it applies to so many different things it applies to players applies to coaches applies to gms applies to agents uh, applies to trainers like it's just it's a, such a competitive league that everyone's always going for your job but the first name that came to, to my head is Cliff Kingsbury because seeing year two last year is that's where a lot more of my concerns became more concrete as opposed to maybe that first year where it was kind of like oh you know this isn't what I was expecting oh that was cool but you know the run game stuff was cool you know oh, okay they got some fun stuff how they run the offense with Kyler but then year two is more of the same and more of the same, I should say, in negative ways. The protection issues, which I've harped on a thousand times on this on this show, um, just tying in, not the aggression going downfield. Everything was dink and dunk. Good run game, but then also running a you know shit ton of screens to go along with it, where it just seemed kind of like a hodgepodge of parts. Like he was just truly throwing shit against the wall, just running plays, running plays, running ball plays, which is great in week one of training camp. Like that's fun, but not every single week of the season. And, and some games turn into that where you're like, Oh my God, we got to try a whole bunch of stuff. Sometimes when you play the Patriots or something, you're like, Hey, let's just try some shit. Let's try and vary it up. Let's create some overload formations. But sometimes you just, you have to have your place Well, you say like, uh, uh, we've, we've talked about quarterback going and get you a bucket. Sometimes you need a scheme or a play call where you're like, Hey, everybody knows what to do on this play. Quarterback knows every possible read that a defense could throw at him. Like it's a third and five with the game on the line or a fourth and five with the game on the line. That's a play we're going to call with the Cardinals. What play is that? Like we that's, you can't close your eyes and picture what this offense is going to be. That's exactly what I was going to say. There's so many offenses where you can imagine it and you know what they do well. And I think identity is a word that's thrown around a little bit too much, but you want to be able to see it and you want to be able to, or be able to articulate what they do well and what their identity is. Like yeah. at their core, what are they? Yeah, and that's a term that we throw that around. This team. Yeah, we throw that term around, but this is actually where it applies. That's yes. that's what's funny. It's kind of like we we all have uh, phrases we use, but this is actually when they're talking about this is our offensive identity, our philosophy. Like, what is their philosophy? Is it ball plays? <laughs> like, is it is a quick game? Is it is it is a great Kyler runs and and you know what was Kenny on Drake and everything? Was it doing that? Like, what is it? And so that's where. Like we said, it's a crossroads, and now it's like more like he has already passed the stop sign. <laughs> like he's already going down the path, and so it's like whether he can control what he's going down because it, he's already had two seasons of this. So unless it's a huge transition this offseason, and again, Rodney Hudson's going to help. I keep uh, harping on having a, a good, legit center that might talk some things and maybe modernize some of the stuff they're running protection-wise, but that's also on the coach to listen to those players. So that's what it's a huge question mark on what what he's at right now and what he's been doing. Let's talk about some of the veteran additions, not only what they could bring, but what they mean. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you're making those sorts of veteran addition moves, bring that's we're winning now. That yep. we want to bring this in for immediate yep. contribution. Guys like JJ Watt, guys like yep. Rodney Hudson, guys like AJ Green, who yes. apparently has looked better than he looked last season, but it would have been impossible <laughs> for him to look worse. So I <laughs> honestly I mean that's and Rondell Moore <laughs> is an interesting piece, yep. right? Like so the, the additions they made make sense. I've heard that some of those additions were not only made for win-now purposes, but for, again, culture is a stupid word, but stabilizing forces within that locker room. Hudson on offense, Watt on defense, adults, right? Bringing in guys that can help teach (laughs) a young team how to practice, can help help 
instill something in a young roster that a young coach might not have been able to so far. I'm really Correct. treading carefully around this, but that that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And maybe yeah. that's part of it. And maybe that's part of the issues that they've had so far is they didn't have forces like that on either side of the ball. And we'll see what happens. But when you make moves like that, right? You got to win. When you yeah. make win now moves, yeah. you got to win. Yeah. That applies to the coach. It applies to the GM. So a couple numbers I wanted to throw at you that I found very interesting that kind of speak to what you've mentioned. Last season, Kyler Murray had 77.3 total EPA as a thrower. That, okay. doesn't, that number doesn't mean anything without a lot of context. It, that ranked 20th in the NFL. 20th. Here are some of the guys he was behind. Oh, no. Gardner Minshew, <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater, oh, and no. Joe Burrow, who played 10 oh, games. No. <laughs> he was one spot ahead of Jared Goff, oh, boy. two spots ahead of Dak Prescott, who played oh. five games. This is not a rate stat. This is a yeah. total stat. <laughs> so that's as a passer, purely as a passer. He was comfortably... That he had comfortably the most EPA generated as a scrambler in the entire NFL. When you say, what is our offensive identity? It's Kyler makes something happen at this point. Yeah. It's a huge part of what they've done. And even in the running game, it can be like that. Yep. They were 21st, or they were sixth in EPA per rush last year. They were 21st in success rate. This yeah. offense is so scattered. There's yep. no consistency to what they do. Yes. It's never smooth. It's always herky-jerky. It's hard. And you can just feel it. It's always hard. hard. They're really yep. squeezing blood out of the stone here. Yep. And I just needed to look easier because the entire point of him getting there was for it to look easier. It was for that, that quarterback to be comfortable right away and mm -hmm. for that offense to be what drove that. This team hovered around 500 last year because their defense – played out of its mind. It played so much better than any of us could have imagined. I think their defense could be okay this year because they have some talent in the front, obviously, with Jones and Watt. But I don't know if they're going to be able to play the same style they played last year where they're really putting a lot on those corners and man coverage and all that other stuff. It seems like this could go sideways. It just does. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it is more tenuous than it might seem from the outside because this was a 500 team last year. But I don't think... I think the records from his first year to his second year and the fact that they improved is a little bit misleading because I don't think the ways that they've improved indicate that there's more progress to be made on the offensive side of the ball or that progress is coming. Yeah, it's not the disco stew meme where it's like, you know, dis disco going upwards, like where he's just like, yeah, this is how it's going to generate. It's not going up straight up that way. And I, I loved your first point too, talking about having JJ there and Roddy there, Roddy Hudson and JJ Watt there, is that having vets that, are actually tangible players, not the 37 year old Jason Witten or, you know, the, you know, the last year vet that's only Tory Holt with the Jaguars, where you barely even remember that, where they're there for that last season. More a guy that's an actual tangible player, even if they're not maybe in that all pro stage. Ronnie still is, but JJ might be a half tier below that. He's still a good, awesome player. But guys respect that. Players respect that. A coach, they can just talk to the coach. And I'm not trying to knock Cliff too much right here, but, you know, he didn't have a lot of time in the NFL. He, he was mostly a college guy. He played for a couple of years as a practice squad, third string type of quarterback. But then that was really his NFL experience. And, you know, and there's 
there's some to it. I don't want to weight it too much, but there is, you know, knowing how the NFL works really kind of does matter. And some guys pick it up right away and like, like that. And some guys are just like always just kind of feel like they're in the deep end. But having those vets that players also can just look to and those guys going like, hey, this is how you practice. Because I know how Rodsey and JJ are. I've coached Rodney, you know, not directly, but I was on the Raiders staff and I played with JJ at Wisconsin. I know how those guys work. I mean, no those, guys are, those guys are top 0.000001% workers. So it, it's like having those guys day in, day out, showing everything to go. And guys are going to respect that. And as far as just like, as far as what, how his scheme has looked and everything, and it's Kyle go do something funny, you know, it's, that's what, Originally, it was okay. And it was like, hey, we're going to let Kyler, you're starting a rookie day one. Okay, let's make it easy for him. And that's where we're talking about that lack of progression and not just in the plays, but just also just what the plays look like. And ISO ball with DeAndre Hopkins. Okay, that's fine for two weeks, but then moving on. Um, putting out, I want to tie this in is the defense, too, stepping up in the second half of the year is now it's on tape. Teams have a whole offseason yeah. to study it. And I don't want to understate that enough because that's what happens is you can put awesome plays and you can be- kind of bum rush guys that first month or maybe after the bye week when you kind of re- adjust some things. And it's like the Andy Reid in September stuff where it's like, oh, my God, like, look at this scheme. Look at this play. Look at this play. <laughs> Same thing can happen for defenses or offenses after a bye week. And that's what the Cardinals did. But that thing is now now it's on tape. <laughs> so now it's you know teams look at it now they're gonna have more reps at it. they're not gonna surprise anyone with these new looks or different looks on third down um not knocking it because it was pretty it was pretty awesome stuff but like you said maybe there's not as much growth there as you would think or maybe sustainability as you would think originally when you first like glance at it and see how they did so like you said it's just a it's just a strange team it's all scattershot they don't create a ton of explosives um they just like I don't know. They make it all look hard. It looks like the Eagles offense the last couple of years. Sometimes it looks like the Bears offense the last couple of years. Everything, every it's play just looks. Yeah, every play just looks. Sometimes they hit a great play and you're like, wow, maybe they got it. And then it's like the next series. It's like three and out and every play looked just muddled. And that that's frustrating. It can be frustrating to watch. And that's why I think they just they, they could get there. They just I don't know if this is the path for it. All right, let's stick with coaches in the Sean McVay mold who were hired two years ago in order to be a new team's version of Sean McVay. Nice. I'm going with Zach Taylor. Yeah. Because obviously they have not won a lot of games there over the last two years, but I think it goes beyond that, right? They have spent a decent amount of money, especially by their standards. Yeah. Over the last two off seasons. You look at that defense, it's all free agents, right? Trey Waynes, DJ Reader, Trey Hendrickson, yeah. Mike Hilton, yeah. uh, Von and they're Bell. Re- and they're all rentals. Like, you all know, of like, them. All, all of them. them. I, it's yep. such a strange roster construction when you think yep. about how homegrown this team has been over the last 10 years. When you draft like garbage, this That's is what, what has to happen. Happens. Yeah. But at the same time, they tried to throw that defense in the microwave. And if it tastes like shit, people are going to lose jobs. Right? Yep. I mean, that's where this is. They tried to get some quick fixes in there, and if it doesn't fix anything, you're left wondering what comes next. Mm-hmm. So this is a huge year, in my opinion, for them, and it's a huge year for Burrow. They went out and yeah. got Jamar Chase. I don't know who tweeted it out today, but some, it was one of those, you know, who's better than this trio? And it was Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins. Uh, T. Higgins is like, I don't know, a lot of guys. <laughs> <laughs> Spin the wheel. <laughs> the Bucks exist, right? I mean, yeah, right. I, <laughs> there's a so couple. I, there's a couple out there. Cowboys. 
So even if they're not at the top, top tier, they have added talent. Yeah. And yeah. this, I feel like you have a grace period when you're a young coach and when you're a coach picking first overall, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that happens. You have some time to figure all of this out. And he was, I mean, it, this is his third year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they were bad in year one. They were bad in year two. And let's see if they can be decent in year three. So far, the reviews from camp have not been glowing. Paul Dino no. Jr. has been writing about the offense. That happens, right? We don't. We try yeah. not to overreact to that kind of stuff. But I think the interest and the scrutiny and the microscope on that speaks to how much is at stake here and how mm-hmm. this is a really, really big year for their franchise quarterback, for their head coach, and for what this team is for the next yeah. several seasons. I really do believe that. Yeah, and another... God, it's just so frustrating that it's just like you said, I, I think what you said too, it's like, okay, the, the reviews haven't been great for the first five, seven days of practice, but, and defense is always going to be ahead of the offense, yada, yada, yada. But that's the thing. It's not like this is a new system for, you know, for Burrow and Taylor. It's not like this is their first time calling plays together and working together. It's like, you'd hope to maybe have a big step there. <laughs> you also want to hear, you would, you'd rather the reviews be saying, oh man, they're doing some tempo stuff or, oh man, they had a new package like, and not, oh man, they're struggling to complete a ball past 10 yards. And that's what last year was, was he obviously watched. Well, when he got there to, to the Bengals from the Rams, uh, uh, Taylor, they, they thought, oh, it's going to be 11 personnel bunch there and just copy what the Rams are doing. And it was like, kind of, like, yeah, he did 11 personnel a lot. But then last year, it was obviously he watched a lot of LSU film because he was yes. empty, left and right, I mean, empty like every other play. Trying just And when you have to live in empty, you need a trigger man. You need a QB that is a quick thinker that also can make a play. Because if you're going to be in empty all the time, you're going to get your ass blitzed off. And either they're going to drop eight or they're going to blitz people. And if the QB is wrong, because if they're blitzing, you're one read and done. You have to get you have to stand in there, take a hit, or you got to go make a play. And luckily, Burrow can do that. But it's hard to live in that world in the NFL level, especially if the O-line isn't blocking how they should in a five-man protection. Like That's in a world – I'm just talking about my example of going one read and done. That's if the O-line's getting everybody they should be getting, wadding stuff up in the middle and leaving a free rusher off the edge or something like that. I don't know if the O-line could do it. (laughs) So that is just terrifying that that's their answer. They're like, okay, we'll spread it out for Joe and let him read because he's so smart and just let him be a trigger man. He's so accurate. Let 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 him get the ball out. But that's what defenses are going to sit on it or they're going to blitz your ass off because they know you can't protect it. So it's just robbing Peter to pay Paul. I mean, you're trying to figure out one answer and you're just creating a litany of answers for other stuff. And that's what's scary is they got the quarterback hurt last year. I should say they, that's mean. But Joe Burrow got hurt last year, and then that leaves it kind of scary if that's what their answer was. The last year was to be an empty a bunch with a rookie quarterback. It's like hopefully hanging on to your hat for this next year with Burrow. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's scary. It's scary to see. Nice, the receivers are nice. They're fine. I like Tyler Boyd. I like T. Higgins a lot, and I like Jamar Chase. I mean, they're fine. But it's just, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of holes there and for the whole team. And it's just like there's nothing I've seen there where I'm, like, real, real excited about what they do offensively. I, I do think like this is another example of, <laughs> all right, what does 2.0 look like? Yeah. Because looking at what LSU did in 2019 and saying, let's do that. Let's do a yeah. lot of that. Makes sense. The yeah. conversation we're going to have with Daryl Bevel later in the show, we, we asked him about that. He said, how much do you look at what Clemson did and say, we need to fold some of that in? He said, you'd be stupid not to. Exactly. That's just, it's a good, good part coaching. of coaching. That's good but coaching. what do you yeah. do next? Yes. And you look at some of the numbers last year and their inability to push the ball down the field. Where are you going to find that? Because if you're living in empty 
and you're trusting your quarterback to get rid of the ball quickly, it's going to be a lot of like seven yard completions and that's fine. But how are you going to create throws down the field? Because you need to manufacture those because you're not going to be able to consistently string 10, 11, 12 play drives together in this league. It's not going to happen anymore. It's hard. It's it's so hard to do. That's why explosive plays are so important. Everyone harps on them. I mean, that, that is why it's more and more, it's tilting more and more to being explosive than efficient because it is, it is hard. Not everyone's Drew Brees. Not everyone can do that for 12 straight plays and make the exact right throw every single time. It is hard to do that and putting it on a guy. And then like you said, I love that how you're putting it. Okay. We saw the baseline version. What, what the quarterback be competent? Let him be comfortable. Okay. What's next? What's next? What's your answer next? And I haven't seen anything that makes me comfortable with what is next. I, I want to go back and watch what they were in games nine, like eight, nine, and 10. Like he was playing pretty well against Washington before he got yep. hurt. And it's just, that's one of those things that when the tape comes back, it's something I want to go become more familiar with. All right. In the, the final, fi- when the tape comes back, <laughs> the when the water gets back. turned back on and I can start <laughs> watching this stuff again, that's something I want to go watch because I'm curious. All right. What does it look like in week one? What does it look like in week 10? I would have yeah. loved to have watched that before we started this podcast. Unfortunately, it was not it's available all up here. to us. <laughs> <laughs> I had to rack my brain for some of this stuff. I was like, oh, man, I, I think that's what that guy, hoping I tweeted about something, like <laughs> searching. God, we're searching for water in the desert at this point. All that's right, really who's weird. your next guy? Okay, next up, I have uh, Mike McCarthy. And with, with <laughs> and it's year two, I'm, I'm tough on it, but he kind of got a free pass last year. Dak got hurt. Everybody shut their brains off. And I mean, I honestly. And they shut the I, Cowboys off. They did. I mean, everyone did. Everyone did. And that's the Cowboys, which is astounding. Uh, but I, I think with Mike McCarthy, he still has a ton to prove. Those those last few years in Green Bay weren't always great, uh, especially offensively. And I, I know, I mean, that whole franchise and everything, whatever you want to do. I mean, they're still successful. They still had a good offense, but it wasn't like it was some revolutionary thing that everyone was copying. It was more like everyone was at the end was it became a meme. It was slant flats. Like slant, everyone, flat, slant, slant flat. Slant flat. Slant, slant flat. flat. <laughs> yes. And Roger signaling. Roger signaling Y to the flat, which they still do, which is hilarious. But with McCarthy, it's just that he got the free pass last year, and he came in, and that team was basically plug and play. I mean, that's in theory. In theory, that's what they were hoping. He came in, and they just hit the ground running with him. And that's what is now scary. It's like he hasn't – those last few years in Green Bay didn't make me optimistic about what's going in for this year. So that's why it's like – He's, I mean, this offense should be a 500-point offense. I mean, and I rarely say that. Well, not 17 games, so that's kind of warped. But, but all intents We're and purposes. We're so screwed. I uh, know. A 520-point offense. Every single point of reference no longer matters, and it's going to be really, really hard. Oh, a 1,000-yard rushers doesn't matter now. It's like 1,100. That, now we, I know, so it's just like my brain's skewed. But still, that, that's what – it's nothing I – and the offense was great those first few weeks with Dak last year. I mean, he was on a record-breaking pace, but that was also I have a question defense. about that. Yeah. So I was trying to put together a list in my mind of why the offense won't be great, right? Just playing devil's advocate because yeah. you look at the talent, and I think, that there are, I think there are a couple of different reasons, right? Obviously, there's some personnel reasons. The yep. offensive line is getting older. I think they're more insulated from injury at tackle than they have been in years past with Niseki mm-hmm. and then the guy they drafted in the fourth round. It was a nightmare for the last few years. Terrence oh Steele yeah. and, all, and all those guys that they had to trot out there when those injuries eventually happened. It was yeah. really bad. I think they're in a better spot this year. And injuries is you always have to mention it. Yeah. So I just let injuries aside. I think the personnel is very good. There are two things that would worry me about their offense. One, 
too much Zeke if it's the same Zeke that we saw last year. Yeah. If those percentages are we're 52% run on first down and he's not the guy that we saw two or three years ago and he's the guy we saw in 2020, I think that could hold them back. The number one thing to me, and I'm curious if you agree with this, when we were doing the quarterback pot and I went back and I watched those first four or five games before they turned the tape water off and I was watching Dak, I was a little bit disappointed in how static everything looked. <laughs> everything. Yeah. And that's, do you agree that's, with that? Because I that's that is the other part of this is that in our minds we have these superstar offensive players, and I think Dak is that. We both agree that he is. Yep. That permeate this offense, and we just just talked about CD Lamb on Wednesday show. But I don't think they're as dynamic in terms of the design and what the offense looks like as some of the other great offenses in the league. And I think that we're we could be expecting this explosion from them, and then watching a bunch of static formations where. They're in 11 personnel and everyone, no one's moving and there's a bunch of curls and yep. it's just like, what is Stop happening routes. here? Yes. Yep. Yep. And I, that's, I thought that we would see this hyper modern, just crazy movement, not in like motion for motion's sake, but just mm -hmm. stuff that was helping their players out more than what happened at the end of the Garrett era. And it just didn't look like that as much as I wanted it to at the at the beginning of last season when Dak was playing. And the talent eventually overrides it, and he's thrown for 500 yards a game. But that, to me, is what could hold this offense back and what could be an indictment of McCarthy. If you can't put this group in a position to be one of the best two or three offenses in the league, we need to find somebody who can. Yeah, yeah. And that's what that static offense, That's I completely agree with it. When... And Kellen Moore, uh, and and he's kind of brought a few ideas with McCarthy because he truly it looks like it's his fingerprints are mostly on that offense. And but that is a Linehan offense. I mean, it is, and I know that because that's what I, I've said before. But that was my dad's offense coordinator in Minnesota. So it, <laughs> trust me, it's Todd Downing ran in Oakland. Like it's uh, it's a very fam familiar offense. The thing with a lot of those routes, and like you said, it's static. It's two by two stuff, or it's split field reads, and it's great. It's almost like an offensive version of the Seahawks defense from the last decade. You know what you're getting, but it's the players are so good that they make it work. And then, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, no one's – people copied the Seahawks defense or kind of the philosophy of it. But offensively, no one's watching Cowboys tape and going like, oh, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> and and, and I, I try not to be mean, but it's like no one's really going, oh, that's really cool. They already know that stuff. It's more of like tried and true concepts, but maybe some of them are a little out of date. Those stop routes are a lot harder because corners have gotten a lot better at knowing what outside receiver routes are, like what how you can be attacked as an outside corner. And so when you're running a – when we say static routes, not only just the motions, but just the – the uh, play designs, the route distribution. A lot of guys now watch the Chiefs offense, especially guys on the move, guys on the move, yes. overs, yes. digs, move, move, comebacks as opposed to a stop route. Guys where guys are running away from guys. And Even that's when the receiver number is changing. Like one becomes two and two becomes one at some point during the route. That doesn't even happen as much as you'd want it to in the Cowboys nope. offense. It's yeah, it's just it's a lot of the uh, day one install plays. And I don't mean that like, uh, oh, they run basic shit, but more on like, how you originally drop, how when you drop a play, like I'm just uh, making one up, but like four verts, you drop four verts. Okay, you're originally going to draw a three by one formation. Boom. Okay, Y's right here, the uh, slots right here, the Z and X are the outside receivers. But then you get into the the varied looks. Then you run out of one by three version. Then you switch the Y and the slot. You get into different formations and everything. A lot of the Cowboys stuff is like how you originally draw it. 
I think that's the best way to put it. It's not like any little, little salt and pepper thrown in there, a little spice thrown in there. It's just like, that is just the static look when we just, like, we keep saying that word because it applies here, but that's kind of what they do with this stuff. And I, I completely agree. That's been my knock with what they do. It's like, it's sound. Like, it's not like bad where you're like, oh my God, that's some amateur shit. It's just that you hope it could just be modernized a little bit. It's like an old Ford And I truck. want so much more. With the yeah. talent on that offense, I want so much it could be, more. It could be so much better. But then you're just like, okay, that's good. Yeah, the offense is great. But it's like, oh, my God, it could be, like, revolutionary. Like, it could be this, like, I'm once so in a decade offense. I'm so glad you feel that way. Because oh, yeah. I'm, I, when I was watching it, that's how I was feeling. I came away, like, a little bit underwhelmed. And that, I think, has infected the way that I'm thinking about and projecting this team moving forward is that I really want to see more. When they ran... That pony personnel with Pollard in that on that in that practice tape, please, like yeah, please, that. can I have more of that? Like All I that. just, I just, I know that it's one play, and if you're stealing stuff, you can only steal so much, and that's Kingsbury's problem, and whatever. But I just, I want to see a dynamic version of this offense because of the personnel that they have, and yeah. I just. I won't believe it until I see it because yep, that's not what it's been over the last couple of years. Just a couple tweaks. That's all it is. It's just as, as supposed to be just being in two by two, starting three by one and jet motion the guy over. That's all it is. It's <laughs> just it. that. That's, that's it. it. And I know, and, and you said it before, but it's not motion, just a motion. It's just, you're trying to put some strain on the defense. Cause if you line make up, it some, make it harder, make it harder for hard. them and easier for you. That's all make I'm them, asking. Make them think just 1% more. And that, that it helps you out so much. It's just a compounding effect. It, it might not matter in the first quarter when everyone can pass it off, but in the fourth quarter, someone's going to bust especially if you play a bad defense or a bad communicators or you got a guy coming off the street that's where those big explosives happen when just a simple concept just because you motioned or ran a bunch formation or a stack formation when you originally were spreading everything out yeah just varied up a little throw a little spice what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day go for a run take a nap read a book show up for a friend show up for yourself a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So my next guy, it almost pains me to put him in here because he's come up so much in the conversations I've had during this training camp in a positive way. Like People unprompted talking to offensive coaches have brought up his name to me because of some of the things I'm working on, and it's Vic Fangio. The yeah. blanket respect 
that he has around the NFL as a defensive mind. It's there's no one else held in higher regard by offensive coaches throughout the NFL than Vic Fangio. I'm telling you conversations with multiple NFL play callers over the last week brought up to me unprompted. Yep. My dad too. My dad, my dad speaks with, he speaks with him just like, like he has that type of respect and I'm sorry I cut you off, but yeah, exactly. Right. Like people that are lifers love him. And I think some of the stuff that Staley is doing now and some of the things we think are revolutionary, people have been quick to remind me. It's like this Fangio stuff. Like You need to remember that's Fangio stuff. But now he's a head coach and it's a different job. And I think there are some people who always wondered, was he made for this? Was was this a job that was suited to him? And I think the Broncos are going to wonder that. I truly believe that this team could have a top three, top one defense for half the season. (laughs) <laughs> if if they have because it's really hard to sustain that defensive su- success when your offense is truly terrible yeah you get for just human nature you get yep. worn down you get yep. put into bad situations i don't know if their offense will be that bad but there's definitely a timeline where it is and if we get to the end of the season and they go seven and ten and they have the fifth best offense defense in the league but their offense was 27th and they still don't have a quarterback I think now some questions start to come up. George Payton is there now. He comes in last season. He is now overseeing that team. He didn't pick Vic Fangio to be his head coach nope. as the general manager. Are, do we get to a place next January where they look at the talent on the roster and say, we need to make a change because we need to go get a quarterback and are we comfortable going to get a quarterback with a lame duck staff? I just think, and obviously there are ownership concerns there. There's confusion with who's going to own that team, Mm -hmm. where their future goes from here. So I just think this is a franchise at a crossroads. And does Peyton kind of sit there at the end of the year and say, Vic is the best defensive coach in the league. He can make our defense really, really good every single year. Is that how we want to build this thing? Because I think that could happen. When we had... The draft happened, and we talked about the Justin Fields, like with the Broncos taking Justin Fields or something like that. That's what sort. I'm thinking about. Yeah. And that was, and my head was just like, well, you take the guy. Yeah. You take the quarterback. And then you actually knocked into my brain. You're like, well, you got to think, like, are they comfortable getting a quarterback and also switching coaches on? And, and that's the whole, you don't, you take it for granted, not take it for granted, but it's kind of an understated thing about the situation some of these franchises sometimes go through. It's a new GM, it's a new head coach, the inner, the personalities clashing, not clashing, but the personalities involved in all these decisions, especially when you're taking a quarterback top 10, that is like, everybody has to sign off. That's like owner, GM, president, head coach, we're all good. I mean, a good franchise does anyways. Um, some, some, yeah, my team has not done yeah, that in the past, there, so thank you very teams, much. Yeah, there's been teams that uh, uh, someone goes rogue a little bit, but um, but that's what generally what you do. And that's where I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I kind of forget about those types of things. So it's kind of like they are kind of like in a weird yield as opposed to a stop sign. They're at a yield. Like they're just like, uh, like I don't do I we go full bore ahead or are we waiting for this guy to turn and that's tough that's a tough place to be because you feel like you waste the season you waste the season of Von Miller you waste the, you know you have other good players and like we talk about windows all the time if you're just all of a sudden just punting on a year basically because you don't know what you're doing as a franchise it's kind of like you know you're just wasting a season and it's a limited time for everybody and NFL not for long I'm gonna keep saying it but it's like that's where. You get into these truly, I I like how you put it, the franchise crossroads, because that's where it kind of just feels like it's like they just kind of 
stood pat on their quarterback and head coach situation when they have other stuff going on around it that could have maybe like made them take a leap. And yeah, so it's just an interesting thing to do. And I mean, that's what thing with a Fangio and sometimes guys hit their ceilings with a coach. I, I still optimistic about the Broncos, but it's, some guys get promoted until they hit that a point. Mean? What does what does optimistic about the Broncos mean? Just I I think they're going to be very uh, if they have Teddy Bridgewater starting. I think they're going to be very a lot more competitive. Like they're going to be feisty just because they're so talented. I don't think and I don't think Teddy. What will does fuck feisty it up mean? For. Does it mean nine and eight? Does it mean 10 yeah and nine seven? nine and eight ten and seven? Yeah nine and eight ten and seven. I think but that's their ceiling. I but think that's 10 what seven. I mean. If that's where you are, where are yeah. you really? Yeah, exactly. And that's I mean and that yeah exactly. You don't have they don't have the two things when you go to a Super Bowl. Who are usually, okay, we're trying to decide who wins the Super Bowl. Who do you look at? The head coach and the quarterback, right? So if the Broncos made the Super Bowl, it's kind of like one of those things where you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm not really going to bet on them going the way because you're not really liking that, those matchups. And yeah, yeah, that you're right. That's the 10 and 7 ceiling is that that's what the, that's their peak peak right now if everything goes right. And that's where I'm, I'm more, I think they're just going to be feisty. And like, I, I loved what the point you brought up though, saying uh, defense might be good for the first half and then it might be a little frustrated when all of a sudden they're, losing a game 17-13 again or something of that sort or or there's five picks. I only picks say it because turnovers. I've watched it so much. Oh, yeah. You have the most <laughs> I mean, I watched experience it last anyone. Year. Yeah, I watched it happen last year. I mean, it, that happens all the time. So I just yeah. – it's just one of those things where, I mean, it's the Peter principle, right? Like you rise to the level of your incompetence. And I, yeah. I just think that Vic Fangio, it's possible that he's the best defensive coordinator in the NFL and that's what he's suited to be. He's suited to be a defensive coordinator. Sometimes – that works where you have the defensive yeah. coordinator, head coach like Zimmer. That's what he's been. But then you start to cycle through the offensive coordinators and you're yep. constantly playing whack-a-mole and they're coming in and out. And there's a different one every year. Yep. And let's play. Let's pay the quarterback and that'll help. And then you just get into this middle ground where it's like, what are we? Where are we going? Yep. I think Mike Zimmer probably deserves honorable mention for this list for a lot of the same reasons. It's just you get to a place where you wonder, all right, what where are we going? What are we yeah. doing? And I yeah. think that the Vikings got close, and I think that Mike Zimmer has been an excellent head coach. But I think that that might be the best-case scenario for what the Broncos are looking at over the next two or three years. And George Payton watched that up close, and I just don't know if he's going to want to go down that road again. Yeah, I mean, who does? No no one wants to live in purgatory. It's either, hey, we're blowing this shit up and we're getting a nice pick or we're we're competing. Like, no one wants to live in that 8-8 eight and eight or 9-8, 8-9 eight, eight world now. It's just the worst place to be in because then you're like, well, and then you talk yourself in. And it's just it can comp compound bad decisions, too, because then you talk yourself into signing guys and, oh, man, that's just – We're that's close. Right? That's, we're a, close. that's a whole <laughs> – yeah. If they went 10-7 because their defense was the best defense in the league, let's say. Yeah. And then you talk yourself into, okay, if we have the best defense in the league again and we make a couple of tweaks on offense, we're yep. close. You're not going to have the best defense Re up in the league Teddy. Again. Re up Teddy for another year. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. just you you start bargaining Scary. with yourself and it just becomes a dangerous, dangerous game. And yeah. I just think that might be the place they find themselves at the end of the year. All right. Who's your next guy here? I'm just I'm glad you you I couldn't remember what the phrase was, but the Peter principle. So I'm so glad you remember. I was trying to remember what it, it that took was. Me Ten minutes into the conversation to pull it, but I eventually. Got I, there. I was like, I'm like thinking, I'm like ceiling principle. I was like Paul principle. No, it's like so. I'm glad you remembered. But uh, my last guy, and I'm glad we we talked about it before, but emphasizing that this is crossroads. This isn't a hot seat or anything. But my last guy is Sean McVay. And, I love that you're doing this. This is amazing. Yeah. And I think just because Sean McVay is betting on himself. And that's yes. really, that's how I read it. And that's how I 
reading just kind of how this offseason goes, it's not, I mean, I'm not like super smart in saying that, but <laughs> just, you know, some of the shine off, shine's gone off. You know, Goff's gone. That was his guy, quote unquote, his guy. That's what we thought until maybe the last couple of months of it last was season. A symbol <laughs> of what he was capable of. Thank the you. The idea that's that a, I, yeah. we can go to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff, that's how good of a coach Sean McVay is. That's yeah. what we held up for a couple of years. And I yep. think that started to unravel, obviously, at the end of last season. And it led to the changes that you've seen. Correct. And that's why I think he's at a crossroads. He basically got, for what they gave up for Stafford, he basically got to choose what he's doing next. And that's what he decided. And he's going, that's more or less handpicked the guy and said, that's the guy I'm going with. So he's betting on himself and saying, yeah, I did, I had a top, I've had a top 10 offense basically every year with Jared Goff as my quarterback. Well, guess what? Wait till you see this shit. So that's where I talking about, especially with Staley gone and he's already gone through defense coordinator changes. He had Wade Phillips. Then he had Staley. He, tab staley and look what happened there one he I, wanted this one he didn't right like yeah. one change he wanted to make one change he wouldn't yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's the difference not. there yes i mean staley and, would still be around if it were up to him oh yeah so yeah, it would broke the bank for him <laughs> and that's where he's now okay now we got fresh change over there okay i've now no continuity going on my defense there is, but you know, you know what I'm saying. But you know, someone who they've got some assistants decision. that are still there, but they also yeah. lost some assistants. I mean, there's been a decent amount of turnover on the entire little, staff, right? Little brain drain. Not only do you lose Staley, Aubrey Pleasant was their defense backs coach. He's gone. Yep. They still have a Jiro Evero there, who's their passing game coordinator and their secondary coach. He was on that staff last year, so there's some turn. There's some carryover, and they're going to try to run the same some of the same stuff. But you have a new defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. You move on from your offensive line coach. And you hire yes. a college offensive line coach. So that's another thing that you have to replace. Shane Waldron yep. is one of McVay's right-hand guys. He's now the offensive yep. coordinator for the Seahawks. I just think this is the next stage of Sean McVay's career. Like yeah. it, Literally, he's at a crossroads. He's going to take a turn somewhere else. I yep. have faith that it's going to go well. I do, I do think their <laughs> offense is going to look awesome. But yep. this is definitely the next step. And I think that's why him betting on himself and the stakes that come with that, it's worth watching. And yep. I think there's another example of that, and that's the last guy on my list, and it's Sean Payton. Yep. It's it's a really similar conversation. It right? is. Sean Payton didn't make the conscious choice to switch out his quarterback, but he ha- he's going to switch out his quarterback. When mm-hmm. you're looking at the Payton-Breeze partnership, there's this eternal question of who deserves the credit. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that happened with Brady and Belichick. When you have those long-term guys that are with each other and you have that era, you look at it, it's like, who contributed to this more? And now we're going to see what he's like without Drew Brees. Yep. We're going to see what the Saints are. This is the next stage of their franchise. And again, I have faith that it can go well. But this is where Sean Payton is going to define his legacy as a head coach in a certain mm-hmm. way. Because we're going to see what are you without Brees. I think Sean Payton is a – we've talked about him. I think he's the best offensive coach in the NFL. Yeah. Well, we had uh, – Drew Patsing on last week, and I asked him, who did you watch this offseason? And the first thing he said was, I watched the Saints. Always. Everyone says. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> it's, that is all you need to know about the place Sean Payton has as an offensive coach in the NFL. Yep. But now we get to see what he's like without, they've, they've said this, the <laughs> supercomputer at quarterback. Yeah. It, yep. Just the, the backlog of stuff in Drew Brees' head and what that allowed that offense to be now yep. disappears. You start over again. And what do they look like starting over again? And I think that goes a long way in shaping our opinion of Sean Payton and how we talk about him, how he's remembered, all of this stuff that matters to you and I. And this starts that next stage of that entire process. 
Yeah, and when Breeze has gotten banged up the last couple of years, Sean Payton took another leap for me seeing what he put together with Teddy and Taysom yes. and Jameis. It's gone well in spurts. Yes, it's gone yes. well in spurts. It's, oh, they're not throwing up 40 a game, you know, but at least they're competent. <laughs> and that it's like, but wait, uh, we talked about the Cowboys and now, you know, talking about the, the Saints offense, that is the highest compliment you can get is everybody watches your shit and everyone's trying to steal and nitpick or uh, take a little couple of little plays or concepts that you do. Because in and even tying you know, into too, we're talking about Sean McVay too, going to this is his next step of his career, his you know his next evolution as a head coach. Peyton kind of went that, but Breeze was just always the quarterback. You know, it's just like you know from the defenses ebbing and flowing to what he had around Breeze. You know, he kind of and also we've talked multiple times about how the uh, Saints' offense has kind of transitioned along with Breeze's arm strength. So he's kind of done it more in a. Uh, uh, boiling frog way like we didn't know for we didn't notice it for a few years and then it kind of like was very stark maybe the last couple years and I think that's where now it's like more just there's a light to it that like oh shit's changing (laughs) you know like oh man like he actually you know this is gonna be the next step with him I just think they I, I I I love this pick for you, like just talking about him because it is. I'm just so curious to what this is going to look like because I can't tell you what Sean Payton ran with the Cowboys when he was a coordinator, or the Giants, or any of that stuff. Like I can barely remember it. So like I only know what the Saints looks like when we stole shit when I was at Wisconsin. When we you know because some of it was tied into what we ran and to what I've watched in the last decade. And it's like I'm kind of very curious if he. Had, it looks like Jameis might be starting, but if they taste him, you know, running some stuff, what what he's going to do with Jameis. Is this going to be more down? I'd rather the field. see it with Jameis. I, I, I want. I want to see it with Jameis. Like it's just, as a football fan, that to me is more interesting he could, than because it's he, not weird. He like could, the the yeah, Taysom yeah. thing. The Taysom thing feels like a gimmick. It like feels it cute. Does yeah. It feels cute. And yeah. I would rather see a slightly different version of a more traditional NFL offense. My brain, that's more attractive. That's that's what it has to handle. Like you want to talk about plant your flag as a coach if he. Puts if Jameis puts together a great season with Sean Payton as a play caller, oh my God, talk about planting your flag. That's like he doesn't have that's to do kind of what I'm talking career. about here. I know I mean, that's but that's he why he's it, here. If he does it, it's like and, and that's the thing he can. It's not where I'm like, yeah, you know, that's one out of a hundred. It's like I, there's a path where I see this happening, <laughs> and it, that's what's gonna be cool. That's what's awesome with some of these units and play callers and stuff is that you trust them to put at least competency, and then you're hoping for excellency um with what they put out there and, and stuff that we watch every week once we get game pass back up <laughs> and actually i can watch this stuff um it's gonna be really fun to to peek every couple of weeks or every week and just kind of see like oh yeah they're they're still running the stuff they ran the last couple of years or it's like oh man they're running that again they're running sluggo seam and all this downfield stuff so that's that's why i'm curious to see too so i i think champagne's a great pick because he really is at a crossroads a major one as opposed to maybe just a slight right turn I'm glad we ended this on a more positive note and not the coaches yeah. who might not have jobs at the end of the year. Because that's not what I wanted this show to feels be. Mean. I wanted to talk about guys that are could go either way. And yeah, I think absolutely. both of those guys, I, we're very optimistic about both Sean's. But this is, a, this is a big moment. It's a big it moment is. for both of them. And I think both of them would tell yeah. you that. So I, we're not saying anything that they wouldn't admit no. themselves. And honestly, I'm sure they love it. They love yeah. being, They're competitive dudes. Like they are. They love they get bored. We talk about play cars getting bored, but like they're competitive dudes. They want to show everybody up. They read the negative pressing press clippings, even if they say they don't, they, they, they know what's being said about them. So it's like they, they, they're competitive guys. They want to prove a lot of people wrong or at least show, Hey, yeah, no, I'm worth the hype that I've gotten this last few years, X amount of years. So yeah, big year for the Sean's. <laughs> I love it. All right. That's all we got. Really appreciate it, buddy. Uh, 
you're getting married tomorrow. I mean, you're married already, but yeah. you're celebrating your wedding tomorrow. Celebrating and it. I will be there. And I am <laughs> I very, very excited to see you. I cannot no. wait. I can't wait either. I'm so glad you can come. Uh, thank you for coming too. And, and yeah, and you bring the lady. It's going to be great. Give, give a little break in your, uh, uh, well, we, well, I won't see what your background looks like in that hotel room, but you know, <laughs> it's a nice break from you that it's a hotel in a different spot where you're not working. It's going to be great to see her in the middle of this trip. It's going to be great to take a slight break in the middle of this trip. I can't imagine a better way to take a break than celebrating you guys and having a great time. So I cannot wait. It's actually not tomorrow, but in podcast time, it's tomorrow. So that's all that really matters. Oh, you made, you got me scared. I was like, say Friday. <laughs> no, lo- right. love you, buddy. Thanks, man. Well, I can't wait to see you. <laughs> you go, you go get ready for all that. You go enjoy yourself. We will talk to you next week, but at the end of next week, we're going to give you yeah. a little bit of a buffer between when you, when to you recover. actually get married and when we have you back on the podcast. So <laughs> love it. Appreciate Good to talk it. to you, bud. Talk to you later. See ya. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. All right, guys, it's time for the team visit from today's episode. We visited with Tori McElhaney, who covers the Falcons for The Athletic. Really interesting practice. Just a lot of cool stuff happening there in terms of whether they're going for it, whether they're not, what the stage of the franchise is. We got into all of that. I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right. I am very happy now to be joined by The Athletic's Falcons writer, I struggled to spin that out the first time. Yeah. Tori McElhaney. Tori, how you doing? I'm good. Excited to be, you know, out in the heat. It's fine. We're fine. It's okay. We are, this is actually a beautiful view. We are overlooking the practice fields at the Falcons facility right now. We just finished with Falcons practice and there's a lot to dig into. I, so I've been to a lot of teams mm-hmm. so far. This is my eighth team in eight days. It's been wonderful. But the tone in a lot of those places is what are the final few things, Right. Cleveland, Buffalo, Miami, even mm-hmm. Miami, the question's a little bit bigger because it's a quarterback, <laughs> right. but that's, that's where we're at. It's like, all right, how can we get over the finish line? Mm-hmm. This team is at the starting line. Oh yeah. And you can feel that with not only the ways that they're deploying certain players, but just even the pace at which they're practicing mm-hmm. and the types of things that they're doing. You told me today, this is the first time since the start of camp you've seen them do any situational work yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, we got to see some two-minute drills today, and we're six days in, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I wake up every morning, like, maybe I'll get to see some situational stuff, and we finally got to see some today, and it's like, that's just where they are right now. Mm-hmm. They are so early in this install process, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions that, you know, Arthur Smith's going to come in and change things immediately and it's like he needs some time because this personnel that he has is very different than what he had at Tennessee 
what they can do is very different. And you got to think about this. You know, this coaching staff is trying to figure out what these players can do. These players are trying to figure out what this coaching staff is all about. There's a lot happening right now, and it's not something that OTAs was going to, you know, magically put together and fix, and everything was going to be all rainbows and sunshine, you know, the first week of training camp. It's like, no, they are starting at a very foundational level, even six days into training camp. And I think that a really important spot to look at that speaks to that is the offensive line. Right? Mm-hmm. We talked about this a little bit during practice. So you have your guys, you know, Chris, Chris Linson was a former first round pick. Yeah. He's installed at one guard. Jake Matthews is obviously very expensive, but he's here. <laughs> Jalen Mayfield is playing at right tackle right now. Yeah. But that is because, and now the question is, is that because Caleb McGarry is hurt? Or is it going to be a real competition there even when McGarry comes back? Because even guys that were investments, guys that were first round picks of a former regime, what role do they have on this team for this regime? We don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes this so interesting because we don't really have a timetable for Caleb McGarry's return. You know, he's on he's on the physically unable to perform list. He's on that pup list. And so we don't know what that timeline is. Arthur Smith hasn't said that there is a timeline yet. He said, they, you know, they want to have him out there. They want to get him out for training camp. But at this point, it's like, how far away is he? And then also getting acclimated once he does come back. Are we looking at a situation where Caleb McGarry gets the all clear and he immediately hops in at right tackle? I'm not 100% sold that that's going to happen because Jalen Mayfield. Which is so telling. Right? Because Jalen Mayfield has been out here every single day at that spot taking those reps. I mean, yes, he's had some highs and he, some lows because, I mean, he's a rookie. Yes. They all, they all are going to be that, you know, maybe outside of Kyle Pitts, which I'm sure we'll get to oh, him in a minute. Oh, we certainly will. Yeah. Uh, but, out, you know, outside of him, like, that's that's the, the name of the game in, in your first year, especially for an offensive lineman. But you, you bring up a really good point. It's like, is – is Jalen Mayfield a placeholder for Caleb McGarry, or is this an actual competition that we are going to see play out when he comes back that's going to be really stiff? And is it a possibility that Jalen Mayfield could be the starting right tackle beside Chris Lindstrom at right guard? That is the one of the biggest questions that I have for this offense. And so obviously, who's the right tackle for the Falcons is not one of the biggest questions right. about the NFL. But it speaks to the larger conversation about this mm-hmm. team. Because I think back in February, in March, when we were looking at the landscape of the offseason for Atlanta, it was tempting. I know I did this, and I'm guilty of it, to just want to throw them in the microwave and say, this could be ready. Right. This, they could, they Right now, this offense could be good. By all indications, I think with the, the Julio Jones trade, obviously, yep. but with how camp has gone, with some of these positional questions, that Arlad depth chart I would have looked at on February 15th. Very different. Terry Fontenot yep. and... Arthur Smith are not that interested in no. whatever the previous version of this team was. They're playing this a lot slower yeah. than we wanted them to play it when we looked at the talent on this team with potentially Kyle Pitts back in the spring. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's something that I literally wrote about this week was like, you guys got to understand that this is something that's going to play out for probably years. Yeah, This is something they are... You know, I, I use the word, you know, I don't like to use the word rebuild because I don't necessarily think that this is what they're doing because you do have Matt Ryan around for another probably, you know. He's the only one, though. I know. It's like, that's and, and but I think and Calvin, you know. they have expensive players, right? right? Like Dion, Grady, Jake Matthews. They have expensive players, mm-hmm. but I don't know how long all of those guys are part of this. I mean, court. that's the question is like, could you? I mean, really, in, realistically, when we were talking to Arthur Blank and Rich McKay 
at the end of last season, they made the comment, and they still will, will stand by this, is like, we believe that we can be competitive and win games now. Well, you're looking at this team right now. You, you're looking at where they are six, oh, six days into practice, a week into training camp, and it's like there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of things they're all still having to learn about one another, and there's a lot – you know, we haven't even gotten to the defense yet. There's a lot of guys on one-year deals that are just here to get the Falcons to 2022, and that is where we're That's at. exactly right. right? It's a like, really good is, way to frame it. This is – it feels – to me, it feels like a transitional year. Yes. Because you do have so many guys – you know, you have jo- – if we want to go back to the offense, you have Josh Andrews who's going to be the starting left guard. He's here for one year. To me, one of the more telling things by the structure of practice, right? This is the coolest part about being here and watching. So you do one-on-ones. Calvin Ridley rips off AJ Terrell. It was beautiful. Very fun to watch, (laughs) right? But then special teams period starts. Mm -hmm. Most of the roster goes to work on punt or whatever they were doing. On this near field, the quarterback stayed and only two receivers stayed. Yeah. It was Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley. That's it. Yeah. Those are the only two guys that have been that have been deemed too valuable and with too large of a role to not go over there and practice with the punt team. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know about the status of this roster <laughs> is that Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley are the top two receivers and everything else is in flux. Yeah. And that's what it feels like when you're out here and I you know I go back to like the fact that we haven't seen a lot of situational stuff, you know, I know that they're going over that. And I know we were talking to Dion Jones just like literally like five minutes ago. And I asked him, I was like, you know, Arthur Smith has said literally every single time that we have talked to him over the last week that they're trying to make it hard on you guys. They're throwing a lot at you guys. And he was like, yeah, it's a lot of situational stuff. It's a lot of just seeing what we can do and throwing things at us. And it's that way with the defense. It's that way with the offense. They are so early in this. And I can't stress that enough. I feel like I'm a broken record saying that, but they really are. They really, really are. So let's keep the tone pessimistic for a bit (laughs) and talk about the defense because the offense, I do believe, can be good. I do Right? It's not the same as it would have been with Julio. And I think the expectations have shifted a tiny bit from where they were in the spring. And what I'll say is, is it's going to look a little different because you, especially, you know, they have to establish that run game. And it's guys who you really haven't seen. Like, See, you know, I'm, a, I'm a pro Mike Davis person, I, though. So I, I, I think Mike Davis is just good. Here's the thing is, Mike Davis, what he did, to, I mean, in Atlanta fans know, like what he did to Atlanta last year just ran all over them <laughs> at one point. It was just, and now it makes sense why they would want him around. But like, that's a piece of it, too. Like, that was something they couldn't do that last year. And they got so one-dimensional at one point that it was like, defense were just picking them apart they couldn't do anything on third down because they couldn't show anything on first and second down you knew exactly what they were going to do and that's that's the thing is like we're going to see something very different I think and is there success in that yes but we just are trying to figure out what that is now I think coaches are too I think there are little aspects right Matt Ryan is comfortable with the movements of this offense Mm -hmm. right he has turned his head this can be unnatural for Mm -hmm. some quarterbacks where you have this heavy play action system and even the footwork and some of the, he's done this. Right. He played for Kyle Shanahan. He played in a system that was very similar. They carried mm-hmm. over a lot of that stuff. So that is a ready-made thing. Calvin Ridley's skill set is a perfect fit for this offense. Yep. He's a perfect fit for most offenses. Exactly, yeah. But I do think a lot, they were working on some double moves in the high red zone but mm-hmm. during some sessions today. Like He looks so great doing the things they're going to ask him to do. Defense, there's none of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This thing is such an experiment on that mm-hmm. side of the ball. You have Dion, you have Grady, you have AJ Terrell. That's yep. it. Yeah. That's it. 
And now every other piece is fungible. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that they brought the right guy in to coach that defense. Oh, when 100%. you look at what Dean Pease did a couple years ago with the Titans, when you don't have a lot of good defensive talent, you got to be weird as shit. <laughs> and <laughs> he is willing to be weird as shit. But I think that side of the ball is a huge indication of the type of transition we're yeah. looking at. You got guys like Deron Harmon on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. They are really plugging some holes here, like you said, to get to 2022. Yeah. I don't know what reasonable expectations for this defense probably should be. I, I don't either. And because it was funny, the very first time we talked to Dean Pease, like, you know, the week he was brought in, which I will go on the record and say I feel like that's one of the best hires that they could have made. It's a really smart one, thing to do. One thousand percent. Arthur Smith needed somebody who he could give this defense to and just be like, hey. Go out and do your thing, man. Um, but, you know, when we were talking to him, someone asked, they're like, are you going to be a 3-4 or a 4-3, like 4-2-5? Like, what are you, you going to be? And he said, yes. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what yep. we're saying. Because personnel-wise, you really don't have the personnel to be a 3-4. They don't have the personnel to do anything. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't going to say being, it. I will, I will let you go on the record honest, for that. They don't yeah. have the personnel to do much. It's And it's going to be weird. It's going to be – they're going to blitz from all over the field because – they're just going to have to throw – it's almost like throwing the kitchen sink at them like because they have to be – and that's something that, you know, I was talking earlier about the offense being too predictable. Like that was another thing with the defense last year. I feel like at times they, were, they weren't disguising things well. Mm-hmm. And I think you could look at the tape and it would probably show the same stuff. But it's all about being able to do something that a, an opposing quarterback is not prepared for, and that is the way that you they're going to have to succeed because there are it's just a hodgepodge of guys. It really does feel that way. The secondary is pieced together on one year deals, and then there's AJ Terrell, and you have Isaiah Oliver who you know needs to step up this year. This is a make or break year for Isaiah Oliver, and then you have. Foye, who came along really well, you know, at linebacker he last intrigues year. Me. He intrigues The movement skills yeah. and everything else. He had a great play in one-on-ones today where he's making a play 25 yards down the yeah. field in coverage. Like, that guy can move around. I it's actually, very impressive. I actually really do think that he's incredibly underrated. You know, he's a guy – I love his story too, so yes. that, that might be a little biased because he came in. He didn't get a combine invite. He was a fifth-round pick, and he just came out here. He was a safety in college at Yale. He's now a linebacker, and he looks pretty good next to Dion. He moves like a safety playing linebacker. He does, which is yeah. An advantage. Yeah, and they put him in coverage a lot too. So you asked Arthur Smith about someone today whose name I don't know if ninety percent of our listeners have heard. No, yeah, Jacob Tuatoy Mariner. So that is where we're at. Yep, that is where we're at with this Falcons team. Is that you are asking the head coach about the plan for this guy <laughs> that I guarantee you most of the people listening to the show have never heard of in their lives. Correct. That is, and and the reason why is because Dante Fowler is still on COVID protocol. He's still on that COVID reserves list. We also don't know what this 2021 season is going to look like for Dante Fowler because the 2020 season, he wasn't the guy that the Falcons acquired him to be. And that's just, he knows that. This coaching staff knows that. The pressure is on Dante Fowler to be that guy. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like he's got to step up and they need more production from him. But right now, he's not out there. It's Stephen Means and it's Tui. And those are the two guys that are getting all those reps at defensive end and outside linebacker, whatever you want to call it. But, I mean, it's it's interesting because they're just plugging and playing right now. So let's talk about Kyle Pitts very briefly here. Because okay. while there is some pessimism on the defense, mm. he is a very impressive young man. Very much so. I just – the size and watching him move around, they had him split out wide in a couple of different sets today. Yep. It seems like he's going to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like he is nominally a tight end. That is what he is. But going back to that Russell Gage, Calvin Ridley thing, where you have those two receivers, that's it. End of list. Right. I think there are going to be a lot of snaps. I would 
so I would say maybe half the snaps mm. where Hayden and Kyle are on the field together yep. and you have those two receivers. He's going to have a massive varied role in this offense early on. 1000%. I think you knew that. You know, you know. You know it. You, yes. know, you know it in your heart, but you at the same it. time it's like when you see it it's like, "Oh, this is That's okay. the thing. And that's what we were talking about in practice today and I was like, you know, to actually see Kyle Pitts in the flesh, you know, see him run by you, see him make some catches that shouldn't be easy, look really easy. I mean, he is a fun player to scheme for because he can do so many things to your point. And I mean, it's exciting. And I, but I will say this, you know, I think it is, it is important to remember. And I've said this a few times and I think I've written it a couple of times. Kyle Pitts needs to be Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts does not need to be Julio Jones. No. Right. That's not the expectation. And I think a lot of people need to understand that this role for Kyle Pitts is he's not coming in and taking up that Julio mantle. That's not what's being asked of him. What's being asked of him is to come in and be Kyle Pitts. The goal for this team, and we're going to have an entire show later in the summer about expectations for first-year head coaches mm-hmm. and what is success, essentially. This is collecting football players. Yeah. That's where they're at. And I think that some people view the Kyle Pitts selection as we're in win-now mode. It's we need to get good guys. Yeah. We need to pick guys that are going to be around and mm-hmm. be foundational pieces. Let's pick the best football player. Yeah. And that's what they did. So if by the end of this year, Kyle Pitts is one of those guys. A.J. Terrell is one of mm-hmm. those guys. Name Calvin Ridley is one of mm-hmm. those guys. They're in collecting good football players mode, and that's enough for this team right now. Right, and you know you you do think about like the salary cap too, and the situation that they're in with that. That's why they're in the position that they're in, where they have a ton of guys on one year deals, a ton of starters on one year deals, is because of that transitional mode that they're in, and understanding like this is gonna this is gonna play out over the course of two, three years. And you know, like, you know, Terry Fontenot is coming from a Saint system where they they turn over a lot. There's a lot of turnover there. Um, maybe not with Drew Brees as the quarterback, but you know, outside of that, there's a lot of turnover. I think he's gonna be bringing guys in and out over the next two years, three years, to where they can get to a spot financially that they they can do and build what they wanna do and build. Well, it's going to be a fascinating year. I mean, this team is in is such a, an interesting transition. I'm excited to watch it. I do think Arthur Smith is going to do a good job because I think Arthur Smith is really good at this offensive very, football thing. Very smart. Very smart. Yeah, very, very, very smart man. And I, I'm very impressed by him. But uh, again, expectations, I think it's important to make them reasonable for this yep. team because there is a lot of change happening and you can feel that. Tori, thank you very, very much for joining us. It is very nice to meet you. It's very nice to sit <laughs> no, here. It is. It's good to be back doing this. So thank you for the time. Absolutely. It was, it was fun. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, earlier this week, I had a conversation with Jaguars offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel. Obviously, the plan for Trevor Lawrence is the most important thing happening in Jacksonville. It's the only thing that really matters in Jacksonville. So after Jaguars practice, I visited with Daryl. We talked about the plan for Trevor, what he has seen so far. Hope you guys enjoy it. So I really wanted to chat with you about a few different things. I just think that 
your background and how it could work with Trevor and everything else is really interesting to me. First of all, we're talking to Daryl Bevel, who's the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars. I keep forgetting to do that. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So I, first and foremost, I want to know, how did you get connected with Urban? Like, What were those initial conversations like? How did this happen, for more, to put it simply? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, basically, I, I had an opportunity for an interview. And um, so I, I was able to come in here. I didn't know him. Um, we, we hadn't crossed paths really I was anywhere. wondering if you had any points of connection yeah, we, at all. we didn't cross paths anywhere. And I, I don't even think I had much of a connection to him through anybody either. Um, so fortunately, I was able to get an interview, got in here. Um, we had great conversations. And then it was over the next couple of days uh, before he ended up offering me the job. What do you think were the most important two or three takeaways you had from those conversations that really felt like, all right, this could work. We're, we're on the same page here. Um, I think we had uh, similar philosophies, number one. Um, I think... Um, you know, the ability, to, the adaptability, you know, to change, um, to, you know, not to be very rigid, you know, with with what you wanted to do. And then I think um, the some of the background that I've had with quarterbacks and then taking Russell, starting him as a rookie, I think that might have been intriguing as well. So what do you think? Are, I'm really curious about that. What do you think is the most important thing you learned from that experience in 2012 that you think can translate to what you're trying to do right now? Oh, I mean, there's there's a lot of takeaways from it. All right, it. let's you know, let's hear. It. I let's mean, hear there it. really is. But um, you know, I, I I think the you know just really the most important thing is how much can you put on those guys? Totally. You know, how much to give them at the beginning? You know, you really try to inundate them with it um, and give them a lot while you're in training camp, while you're in OTAs, while you're in the mini camps, those kind of things. And then once the season gets here, then you kind of have to see all right, where is he really at? What can we what can we do? Um, you want the players to play fast, right? You want them to not have a lot of thoughts going through their head, not thinking through things, and and you know maybe a little bit of confusion that can slow them down. Obviously, so that's a balance, right? Yeah, you want to put a lot on them, but still not wanting to bog them down. That feels like you have to have a little give and take. Yeah, so you learn that in like like right now. There's there's a lot on them today. Was the sixth install? We'll do a seventh one tonight. Um, I thought the recall has been really good. And then today, I think this one kind of bogged him down just a little bit. What was it specifically today? Well, what were I just you putting think there's, on? I think it just gets volume. You know, each and every day you add more, you add more, you add more. And so for today, um, you know, you, you kind of could just start to see, you know, start to see, start to see the wheels spinning in some mm -hmm. of their minds and you can see the, the pace of play. They start all start to slow down and definitely with a young quarterback, that's not something you want to do. And with, so with, you know, going back with Russell, we were kind of, you know, just taking it slow, taking it slow. And then there became a point during the season, I can tell you it was exactly the Chicago Bear game. And it was like, okay, take the wheels off, take the training wheels off. This guy's got it, he can do he can do everything. And we kind of let it go. But up to that point, you know, you kind of, I don't want to say spoon feeding it, but you're, you're slowing it down a little bit and just giving them enough where you have enough to do on offense, but that you're not slowing down the players, particularly the quarterback. With the volume, is that formationally? Is that protections? Like, where do you think the bulk of the mental load comes that you have to be cautious all of with? That. Okay. Yeah, because all of that adds to it. You know, if you you can, you you can run the same play, but if you put a different formation to it, um, even the same protection, you know, the back end can change or look different. You know, if you motion guys, move people. You know, if you change the protection, changes things. Um, and then, you know, then however many concepts that you decide to go in the game with. How do things get more complex? Like, what is the biggest difference between a quarterback, a first training camp install, seven installs in, and quarterback in the same system as year three? Yeah. It, um, that's, I mean, it's a good question. I think, so for a guy that's coming into the league and just starting, you know, there's, it's like, what it, what has their background been? What have they, what have they been exposed to? You know, so some of them might be a little bit further ahead than others when they, when they come in, just in terms of, 
you know, what style of offense they've done in college. But this is one of the things that I try to point out all the time nowadays that probably the biggest difference between our game and the college game, right? There's three things that and we're talking specifically about quarterbacks, right? There's three basic fundamentals that you think from from grade school on that quarterbacks have been doing, right? Number one, taking a snap. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see a quarterback under center in college? No. Right? Okay, number two, calling a play in the huddle, right? Yep. How many of them call, like actually verbally call the play to their guys in the huddle? Not a lot. And then number three, as funny as it sounds, doing a cadence. There's sure. an art to the cadence, right? There's an art to why is Aaron Rodgers so good? Why was Brett Favre so good with their cadences, right? And these guys come in and what have they been doing? They've been clapping. Look, clap, yep. Right? So as you think of just those three basic fundamentals that a quarterback's been doing since they were this high, those aren't anymore. And now that stuff even bogs them down, right? So it's just, so there's, there's just so much that you add on top of, to you know, to make it more complex. With And I didn't even talk about a play. Yeah. I just it's, talked it's about those like those the baseline three. building blocks. Exactly. Yeah. So do you think when, when the plays do come in, is it being able to tag stuff on the backside? Is it like simple one side, re- one field side, half field reads? Like, how does that get more complex after you've established the building blocks? Yeah, I mean, you can you can do all kind of things. You know, you put one concept on the front side, one concept on the backside, and then how do you read it? You know, do you read it just this just this coverage takes me here, this coverage takes me backside, or I got I'm going to go from right to left or from left to right? You know, those those kind of progressions, and it depends on the the type of play that you're giving them. So. Um, that can make it more complex as well. How much Clemson tape did you watch from the time you got the job until May 1st? Yeah, we, wa- we watched a lot. Uh, we watched a lot. How much, when you're doing that, are you looking for elements of his game that you think you can tap into? Or are you looking for specific things they did that you can maybe fold into your offense to ease his comfort level? Well, I think there's, I think both of those answers are, would be correct. You know, one, you're trying to, to see what his potential is and you know what his strengths and weaknesses are because i mean my job as the coach is to maximize his strengths and then minimize the weaknesses not let those show up sure right we all have them and then the second part of it is what has he been exposed to and can we you know if we've never done it before either learn it or you know we we know what he's been doing so we can put him in those situations because that immediately eases and puts them in a more comfortable situation. With all the RPOs and just the quick stuff they ran, it seems like those are easy buckets for a young quarterback. Are you tempted to try to fold some of that stuff in, even if that's not your background, just to get him comfortable? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you want you want to. It doesn't matter what I'm comfortable sure. with, right? I got to make sure that he's he, that he has some level of comfort playing. And it feels like with the type of offense you run, which I love watching. I love what it looks like with Matthew. I love what it looked like with Russell having that play action aspect to it, it almost feels like a way to insulate your quarterback when you want to insulate him, both with protection and just simplifying what he's seeing. Do you feel that way with some of the downfield play action stuff that it can be a way to help your young quarterback get comfortable early? Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things is it creates space for the quarterback in protection, exactly. right? It's yeah. not just guys pinning their ears back, running, you know, they, they have to play the run, then they have to transition to a rush. So a lot of times you create more space for the quarterback. How, obviously you have an idea of what he's gonna be like before you start. What is the most important thing you've learned about him since you started working with him that helps you coach or teach him? Uh, I, I think um, how mature he is. You know, like this hasn't been too big for him coming in, which obviously, I mean, the guy's been the face of college football really for the last few years. And so I think the maturity level, 
has, has been something that's really impressed me. The other thing I'd ask, so in terms of physically, is there an aspect of his game physically that's maybe a little bit more pronounced, a little bit more impressive? I know it's, it's easy to see on tape, but when you get up close to it, I'm sure you appreciate it in a different way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the guy, the thing that you forget is this guy's six, five and a half. He's huge. I, I was right? shocked when he walked past. Yeah, me. I mean, he's a big guy. And then, you know, the movement skills that he has as a guy that size has, you know, has probably been something that really impressed me. And then as you see it in person, you're like, I mean, that guy's six, five and a half doing that. The last thing I'll ask you, Marvin said that he's been really aggressive. He's not afraid of tight window throws. He's going to push it and try stuff in a way that a young quarterback might not always be willing to do ambitious type stuff. Is that what you've seen too? Well, I think you saw the ball that, you know, to Marv that he threw. I think a, a veteran receiver likes that. You know, he kind of, he kind of stuck that one in there today to Marvin. Um, there's a fine line with that, right? I mean, we want we want him to be aggressive. We don't ever want to take their aggressiveness away, but we, we do want to play smart because they got to understand how important the ball is. Awesome. I really appreciate the time. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. Thank you so much to Tori for the time we spent with her in Atlanta. Thank you very much to Daryl Bevel for joining the show. Thank you to Nate, as always. We will be back next Tuesday with some more stops from our training camp tour. By then, I will have been in L.A. for a couple of days. So we'll be back with Lindsay that day. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would very much appreciate that. Also, please subscribe to The Athletic. I'm writing twice next week, some things that I'm really excited about. So I really hope you guys read those things and check that out. It is so important to have a subscription at this time of the year to follow all the stuff that's going on with the league. Obviously, we're having a ton of athletic writers on. I hope you've gotten some insight into the way they cover these teams, how well they know these teams. It's an immense resource, and I really encourage you guys to go grab one if you do not have one already. It's theathletic.com slash football show. We'll be back on Tuesday. Talk to you guys soon. This was The Athletic Football Show. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.